We'll be reading verses 21 to 23 as well as verse 28. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In our study last week, we saw how that in response to the clear revelation of God's power and nature in creation, sinful fallen humanity suppressed and rejected it. They did so and indeed continued to do so by their unrighteousness. We learned that from Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The fact was committed as they were to their sinful unrighteous agenda, sinful humanity got to the place where they lost their appreciation and regard for God's truth, and as such, they ceased glorifying and worshiping God. Hence, theirs was not a case of ignorance of God, but of willful rebellion against God. In fact, verse 20 tells us that they are without excuse inasmuch as God has shown them the truth. And so verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Verse 23 tells how that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And on account of their willful, deliberate rejection of God from their lives, the wrath of God, Paul says, is being revealed from heaven. In verses 21 through 23 and 28, which we are considering today, we want to see the results of the wrath of God. We can think of the results of the wrath of God in terms of the consequences of their rejecting God. We could speak of the manifestations or outworking of God's wrath in response to humanity's rejection of God. And here in these verses, we see that with successive incidences of men's suppression of the truth came their regressive descent into the depths of moral and spiritual depravity. Now, it has been almost 2,000 years since Paul penned these words of our text, and what with this great learning is impressive and scientific advances. It remains the case that rather than moving towards God, man continues to reject God, becoming in the process more and more ungodly. In fact, the truth is, as we look at the history of our world, it seems that the more man advances, in science, in technology, in learning, it's the more beastly and vile and corrupt he becomes. They become worse and worse 
Deceiving and being deceived, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 puts it. And what we're saying this morning is that at each step of the way, these instances of increasing descent into depravity signal the unleashing of the wrath of God. Keep in mind that when we speak of the wrath of God, when scripture speaks of the wrath of God, we must not think of it as always referring to something cataclysmic, something that is distressing, something that really hurts. And if I would use the analogy, first of all, let me say this, as we said in our earlier studies, that when we talk about the wrath of God, when the Bible speaks of the wrath of God, the wrath of God is a present reality. In other words, John chapter 3 verse 18 will say that those who are not believing on Christ are presently under the wrath of God. They are under the wrath of God in as much as God is angry with the wicked every day. It's not necessarily when they die and they stand before God, that they are going to have the wrath of God upon them. But even now, the Bible says, the wrath of God is resting on them. But then there is what we might call the eschatological wrath, where, where the full fury of God's wrath is going to be poured out on men, in which they will experience conscious, eternal suffering without end. It's eternal, it's without end. But here's the point that we are making this morning. The wrath of God is never always cataclysmic. It's never always distressing to the individual. And the analogy I'd use for that is this. There are damages that can be done, for example, to our bodies without our even recognizing it, even while we are enjoying life, so to speak. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Take some French fries. Take a dirty, greasy burger. Take some ice cream. Live on that for about six months. Yes, continue for about a year. You're enjoying it, right? But oh my, the damage that is being done to the body. And that damage, we would say, is imperceptible, which is to say it cannot be felt yet. It is very much real. It is very much taking place. And the word of God suggests here in our passage, in fact, as we'll see next week, that the wrath of God is evidenced by the fact that sometimes God allows people to give in to their lust, give in to their cravings, and when they think they're having a good time, when they're living it up, they are, in fact, under the wrath of God. Let's trace then the downward slide of fallen humanity in their denial and dismissal of God and the consequent wrath against them. And as we study our passage, we find that this wrath of God is directed to at least three areas of human life and human existence. The wrath of God is directed at their minds, verses 21 and 22. The wrath of God is directed against their souls, verses 23 and 25. And the wrath of God is directed, as we'll see next week, at their bodies, verses 24, 26, and 27, as a result of which they give unrestrained expression to all manner of evil, verses 29 through 32. 
And beginning at verse 21, all the way to verse 32, we see the incremental descent of fallen humanity from the heights of the true knowledge of God to the most debased depths of depravity. I want to say to us this morning, and you know this very well, but this is particularly for those who are not saved. I want to say this, that sin is most degrading and most degenerative in its effects, it distances one from God, and ultimately issues in eternal death and eternal damnation. And such is the dangerous, slippery slope of sin. In the first place, we notice from our text that resulting from men's refusal to honor God, to thank God for the knowledge they had of him, notice first of all, the wrath of God was inflicted on their minds. The wrath of God was inflicted on their minds. And it was inflicted on their minds as evidenced, first of all, by the fact of their becoming disillusioned in their thinking. They became disillusioned in their thinking. We see that in the D part of verse 21, where the text tells us that they became futile in their thinking. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for futile speaks of that which is useless. It speaks of that which is empty. It speaks of that which is fruitless. The God-rejectors became futile in their thinking. That they became futile in their thinking meant that they looked uh, as they processed life, the way they looked at the world, their understanding of the purpose of life, the values they formulated were devoid of foundation. It was lacking in positive, wholesome direction. For living, It was fruitless. It was thinking that led nowhere. It was thinking that led to a dead-end street. In other words, as a result of their doing away with God, so to speak, they inevitably came to a way of thinking that was useless as far as the betterment of themselves was concerned, let alone the betterment of others. This was the kind of thinking that led to a dead-end street. The kind of thinking that was, we would say, good for nothing. I can give you a perfect illustration of that kind of thinking. If you have time, and I know time is precious, just tune into midday television and watch people sitting in a couch talking nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Just listen to those in the media, our journalists. Listen to our politicians, our educators, our social scientists as they address issues related to the betterment of society. And what do you get? The kind of suggestions, ideas, policies, programs that not only engender discord, alienation, frustration in the society, attesting to the fact, attesting to the reality of the truth that when the truth of God, the reality of God are denied and dismissed. There cannot but be empty, fruitless thinking. That's why from all these quarters we'll hear some of the most outlandish ideas and proposals as to what is good for society. So you listen to all of these ideas and you ask yourself, is society any better for it? Just think of the things that are... Are, are, are gaining currency in our time. 
I mean, look at the futile, foolish thinking. I mean, we come to the place where we worship the creature more than the creator. We are so steeped into the environment to the neglect of the creator of the environment. So much so, everything everything is blamed on what? The environment. One politician recently was just gabbing about this thing she called climate mental health. Climate mental health. What nonsense. What nonsense. And we could go on and on and on. But suffice it to say, the word of God suggests that when men reject God, when God is dismissed from their thinking, that results in disillusioned thinking, thinking that is useless, thinking that is fruitless, thinking that leads to a dead-end street. It leads only to discord, frustration, and alienation in our society. Second, in consequence of men's refusal to honor And thank God for the knowledge they had of him, the wrath of God against them, was evidenced by the fact that they became, notice the E part of verse 21, they became darkened in their hearts. They not only became disillusioned in their thinking, but they became darkened in their hearts. The text says their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. And darkness connotes what? Confusion. Here in verse 21, the reference is to what? Confusion of mind. Confusion of mind. A condition that arises from the absence of light. Light that is to be found in truth. The truth of God's word. Truth of which God is the ultimate source. You can, we cannot talk about truth without reference to God because God is the author of truth. Truth represents light, and where there is the absence of truth, we cannot but have what? Darkness. Confusion. And my friends, where the heart is darkened, this results in, among other things, the inability to distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong, and to declare them, not only to distinguish them as such, but to what? Declare them as such. You know, it's one thing to distinguish good from evil, and evil from good, right from wrong. It's another thing to declare them as such, because we know, we see, we hear in our society every day, people in the face of clear truth, in the face of self-evident truth, they will actually with a bare face claim otherwise. I think I used this illustration in the past, and I'll use it again. What is a woman? I don't know. You see what we're talking about? You see what we're talking about? That's what we're talking about. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 speaks of this matter of a darkened mind. The same idea as that of a darkened heart here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Referring to those who walk in the futility that is the emptiness of their minds. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says. It says this, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Again, what's the reason for such condition of the mind and heart? It is this. Yes, you got it right. It is the outworking of the wrath of God on those who reject him, on those who do not like to think about him. Because they reject the light of the truth of God, they cannot but be in a state of darkness. They cannot but be in a state of darkness. That was why our Lord Jesus, as he taught some people one day, Jesus gave them a warning as the crowds were listening to his teaching. Here's what our Lord Jesus 
told them by way of warning in John chapter 12, verses 35, 36, our Lord Jesus warned those who were listening to him as he taught the word of God. He says this, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The warning here, my friends, particularly to those who are unconverted, to those who are not saved, the more you reject and you resist the truth and light of God and his word, what happens is this, the heart becomes hardened, the heart becomes darkened. And that's a sorry state to be. Thirdly, as a result of humanity's refusal to honor and thank God for the knowledge they had of him, the wrath of God was directed at their minds as evidenced by the fact that they were, they became, notice verse 22, they became deluded by their learning. They became deluded by their learning. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. How sad and yet fitting a description for those who reject God, for those who reject the light of God's truth. Because according to Psalm 14 and verse 1, it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. You see, even as sinful men speculated about the reality of God. In their own minds, they may have appeared brilliant, they may have appeared sophisticated as far as their human reasoning, their human wisdom was concerned. But in discarding, here's the point, in discarding truths that were clear, truths that were obvious, truths that were divinely impressed on their hearts, on their conscience, they in fact proved themselves to be what? Foolish. Plain in plain view was the truth. And they call it otherwise. It is the fool who says there is no God. It is the fool who says no to the idea of God. And you see, this is precisely the kind of thing that happens when people are educated beyond their intelligence. You see, having rejected the truth, they necessarily become fools, always learning, as Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 3, 7 but yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Can you imagine? You're always learning, 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 but you can't come to a knowledge of the truth. That's foolish. Yes, we learn, 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 and properly speaking, we'll never come to a knowledge of all the truth, but to be learning, 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 and never able to come to the real truth, that's pathetic, and that's foolish, and that's sad. So I want to say this, that when through intellectual pride, people consider it cool, people consider it smart, to leave God out of their reckoning, such as our university professors, such as even our theological professors who want to appear cool, who want to appear as being with the status quo. It is not cool to say God created the world in seven days. It's not cool to say that this world is roughly 6,000 years old. It's more brilliant. It's more sophisticated to say billions of years ago. It's not cool. It, it, it's sort of cool to not talk about the death of Christ, but don't play the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. 
Here's the point. When through intellectual pride, people consider it cool, people consider it smart to leave God out of their reckoning, when through stubborn pride, they suppress the truth of God as manifested in creation, as impressed on the conscience, and as revealed in Christ through the scriptures, let me say this, they don't become smarter. No, they don't become progressive as they arrogantly claim. You know what? They actually become regressive. They get, they're, they're what? Getting backward. They're getting backward in every respect. Morally backward, spiritually backward. They become futile in thought and they become foolish at heart. You see, that's what our text says. They become futile in thought and they become foolish at heart. The bottom line, my friends, is that where there is a rejection of truth, one has no other alternative but to settle for what? A lie. It's one or the other. If we don't go for the truth, we necessarily settle for a lie. And in the nature of the case, in the very nature of the case, such is an utterly foolish exchange which renders one what? Foolish. Do you know God actually illustrates in his word how people can be foolish like that? In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, illustrates how foolish people can become when they reject him. Here's what God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, to illustrate the folly, the foolishness of rejecting him. Here's what God says. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Well, what's their alternative? Listen. And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. <laughs> That's stupid. That's what God says. That's what God suggests. He says they have committed two evils. Evil is what? Folly. Evil is foolishness. It is either one or the other. If the truth is rejected, then one must necessarily settle for a lie. In fact, God, Paul says in the book of Second Thessalonians, he says, And because they did not love the truth, God sent them strong delusion so that they might believe a lie, so that they might be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but revel in unrighteousness. In the fourth place, resulting from men's refusal to honor and thank God for the knowledge they had of him, the wrath of God against them, was issued in their becoming, not only disillusioned in their thinking, darkened in their hearts, deluded by their learning. But notice fourth, look at verse 28, they became degenerate in their minds. They became degenerate in their minds. Here's what the text says, and since they did not see it fit. They say, we can't take this thing. It's not politically correct. It doesn't fit the zeitgeist. It, 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 you know, it makes you look like a square. You just have to fit. We can't tolerate this God talk. We cannot tolerate the idea of God. Since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, here's the deal. God said, well, okay, return the favor. God gave them up. God said, have it your way. God Gave them up. And what did he give them up to? Again, remember what we said. The judgment of God is being inflicted where? At the mind. So here's what God did. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Judgment. 
These people say, oh, we are progressive and we are championing progressive causes. But little do they realize that when they are not in line with God's truth, but they are going about to establish their truth, because after all, all truth is relative. There is no such thing as absolute truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. Here's the thing. God says that that kind of thinking is foolish. That kind of thing is reflective of a darkened mind. And even worse yet, it is reflective of a mind that is debased. You know what is a mind that is debased? Is what scripture refers to elsewhere as a reprobate mind. Rejected. Good for nothing. Simply put, the point of verse 28 is this. That a mind that dismisses God... A mind that doesn't like to entertain and accommodate the idea of God, the thought of God, is a mind that's soon given over to all kinds of twisted, distorted philosophies which work themselves out in all kinds of perversions. And my friends, listen, it's precisely those God-hating, Christ-rejecting ways of thinking which in our time has led to such moral ills as free sex, abortion on demand, easy no-fault divorce. You can get one for what, $2.99 or something. You see they put it on the billboard, $2.99, give you a divorce quick o'clock. The prideful, shameful acceptance of homosexuality. Euthanasia, by the way, such as practice, is practice in Canada. Do you know right now you can't pay your bills? You're having a hard time in life, you can get one of these. these. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it seems funny, but it's a serious thing. You can actually pay to die, end your life. Euthanasia. And you ask the question, how much more debased, how much more degraded, how much more reprobate can a society become? And here's the answer. As our society continues to push God further and further away, as it were, we are going to see things becoming worse and worse and worse because the word of God tells us in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. They will get from It's not going to get any better. Frightening days are ahead. Just listen to the news. We're going to see some of the worst unimaginable ideologies and lifestyle being embraced. We, we haven't seen anything yet. In fact, even as I speak, you know this very well, listen to the news, different states are moving to have legislations where, as a parent, you will have no talk. If you resist, you will be prosecuted. And all of these ails, the Word of God teaches in our text come as a result of the wrath of God against the minds of those who would discard God and his truth from their lives. And so you have it, my friends, resulting from men's refusal to honor God, to thank God, to glorify God for the knowledge of him. In consequence of that was the wrath of God against him. And one of the results of the wrath of God was against what? The mind. The mind. 
They fell into self-defeating, confused, foolish, and debased state of mind. They became, the text says, futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. To do crazy stuff. To do weird stuff. In fact, to show the heights of folly. Some of them take pride in even calling themselves queer. That's judgment. Well, the wrath of God was inflicted not only against the minds of those who rejected him and his truth, but second, and with this one we close this morning, the wrath of God was inflicted against their spirits. The wrath of God was inflicted against their spirits. You know, the spirit of man is that realm in which he worships God, in which he serves God. We see that in Luke 1, 47, John 4, 24. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. In the gospel of his son, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 15. I'll worship God with my understanding. I'll worship God with my spirit. And so on and so forth. And what we see, suggested by our text, is that contrary to God's purpose for man, which was to worship God, which was to glorify him, sinful, fallen humanity did this. Look at verse 23. They exchanged. They exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, their affections being towards any, everything else except God. Notice they became grossly and degradingly idolatrous. Here's a point, my friends. Contrary to evolutionary thinking that man at first ignorantly worshipped gods of wood and stone, and then sort of evolved, made his way up, became more sophisticated to the point where he worshipped God. The Bible paints a contrary picture. Our text makes it clear that such was not the case. Our text makes it clear that it was man's, listen, it was man's repudiation of God and his revelation that preceded his descent into idolatry. Go back hundreds of years. And it's not that man... That's where man started. Go back to those dark jungles, those dark continents where people were bowing down to wood and stone. It's not how man started. Man started worshipping God because that's how God made him. And what our text clearly states is that it was, in fact, man's repudiation of God, of the truth of God, that preceded his descent into idolatry. Because he says, even though they knew God, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of God. When they saw the glory of God in creation, what did they do? They changed it. They exchanged it. His heart being a perpetual factory of idols, as Calvin puts it. It was sinful man who invented idolatry. The worship of those things which are not God. And notice from our text, notice in verse 23, what we could see there, what we see there as the increasingly degrading depths into which humanity fell in their idolatrous 
pursuits, beginning with the worship of human-like images. So where did man start in his descent into idolatry? He started by worshiping himself. That's what is suggested there when they made images of human-like, when they made human-like images. Man started with the worship of himself. And that's not hard to believe because you go back to the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden of Eden all about? It was man worshiping himself because when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, for stomach, and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, to make me wise, she took, she ate, she consumed it, and she gave it to her husband. He did eat. What were they doing? What was Eve doing in particular? She was following the suggestion of the serpent that she could be like God. So in other words, man started at the point of self-worship. Man was created above the rest of creation, right? In terms of dignity, in terms of honor. But notice the descent of man. Yes, he began worshiping the birds. Man would be up here because he's closer to heaven. Then he descended, what he started doing, worshiping birds. And then the animals down on the earth. And then he gets lower than that. He gets down to the level of creeping things. Let me ask you, how creepy is that? Think of it. <laughs> that's, that's true creepiness. Because, here's the point, idolatry is most what? Degrading. And part of the judgment of God on sinful humanity was this. Because he did not like to retain the knowledge of God, but exchange the glory of God for images of himself, images of birds, images of beasts, images of creeping things, he gets lower and lower, lower and lower, and he becomes most degrading. And here's the point. When it comes to idolatry, in fact, let's begin with Christian worship. We become like what we worship. As Christians, we worship the living God. What is happening is that the more we worship God, we become like God. Isn't it? Yes. The more we worship things, the more we worship animals, the more we worship creeping things. And I will put it like this. It's the, in a sense, it's the creepier we get. Now, if that isn't creepy, as I said, nothing else is. But it had to be that way. It had to be that way. For you see, because human beings are by nature worshipping creatures, because they are worshipping creatures by virtue of the fact that God created them that way, because they are possessed with an innate awareness of God, then in rejecting him, the true God, they'll necessarily gravitate to some substitute. Man cannot but worship. Why? Because he was created a worshipping creature. If he's not worshipping the living God, then he must worship something else. The saying is true, everyone must worship someone or something. You are worshiping something now. Every one of us is worshiping someone or something now. We cannot but be that way. The sad fact is, as G.K. Chesterton points out, that when a man ceases to believe in God, he doesn't believe in nothing. He believes anything. And that's what we have here in our text. He believes anything. He will believe in a worm. He'll worship a worm. He will worship an ant. In fact, there are parts of the world today where people are worshiping snakes. People will worship Satan. Now, as we draw to a close, notice the first half of Psalm 14, verse 1. What, it, what does it say? It says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
no God, no to God, I will not have you in my life. And you could well write beside Romans 1.23, the second half of Psalm 14, verse 1. You know what Psalm 14.1 says, the B part? It says this, they are corrupt. They do abominable things. This is the logical progression. Forget God. That leads to worship of other things, even creepy things. And then before you know it, what happened? Here's the point. Forget God, and you begin to act corruptly and do abominable deeds. That's a judgment of God right there. And as part of their corrupt abominable deeds, they took what they knew to be true of God, as we see in our text, exchanging it for images of what they, in their darkened hearts, thought God should be. Let me close by saying this, that the truth of our text regarding sinful humanity's descent, its tendency toward idolatry, is well illustrated. It is very well illustrated by the fact that ours is a culture that's given to idolatry. Let's not think otherwise. We are a culture that is largely given to idolatry, worshipping myriads of things other than the one true and living God. And that we are a culture that's given to idolatry, rampant idolatry, myriads of idols, that we are sold to to worshipping the creature rather than the creator, is evidenced by the enormously inordinate amount of time and attention that people give to things like social media, to smartphones, to sports, you name it. And the reality, my friends, is this, that people will more readily take to Twitter than they'll take to Scripture. You know that, right? People will more readily post stuff on Facebook rather than put their face in God's book. Bowing to the idol of entertainment, many are more lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 2 Timothy 3, 4. Many will focus more on their political parties than they will on the kingdom of God. They'll more quickly lord this or that political leader than exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That's idolatry. Let me say this. We must be interested and we must be engaged in politics. And we must not feel guilty if somebody says you love politics or you talk about politics. We are political animals to begin with. Political creatures. But here's the point. The kingdom of God takes precedence over politics. It is not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party that we are to be lauding. We are to be championing and lauding the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Donald Trump or Joe Biden that we are to be championing. We are to be championing the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, love your leaders, but laud the Lord Jesus and love him more than everyone else. Perhaps never before the history of this nation has there been so much idol worship. Talk about American idols, no pun intended. Well, how do we close this message? Let me say this. It's not all blasting and it's not all finger-pointing and censure. From our text this morning, we we cannot but see, beloved, the enormously far-reaching effects of sin, the enormously far-reaching effects of denying and rejecting the one true and living God, to resist, to discard the clear, evident reality of God, to deny his existence, to deny his revelation, we learn from our text is to inevitably, unavoidably incur the wrath of God, the judgment of God. 
As we have seen this morning, the infliction of his wrath against such unrighteousness is in darkness of mind. It leads to moral corruption and confusion. It leads to ones having a foolish and darkened heart. And all of this, of course, and here is the good news. All of this, of course, points to the hopelessness and helplessness of the human condition. It points more than anything else to the need for the saving grace of God in the gospel through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about transformation. It is all about turning people from darkness to light. It is not first and foremost about condemning and and, and discarding and consigning people to hell, it is first and foremost the love of God in Christ calling men to repentance, calling men and women to transformation. That is what we need to see this morning, the need to see men and women outside of Christ as being lost, as being under the chains, the binding, enslaving chains of sin from which they need to be delivered, from which they need to be rescued, and that rescue can come only through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, you need to turn to him and be saved.